Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Global warming, take a look at that picture of central London. Look out your window if you are in Britain as they tell us about this baking hot summer in the United Kingdom. Not likely, according to the vast majority of British people. We in the Workers' Party have demanded a referendum in Britain on whether or not to continue the commitment to a net zero economy by 2050. And the signs are that everyone from Lawrence Fox and Tony Blair are backing the central demand of ours that this net zero scam will basically condemn the British economy and British people to a cold penury for no good reason. And that's why I'm running this poll this evening. Is the global warming net zero cult a scam? You can answer yes or no on my Twitter, on my Telegram, t.me forward slash George Galloway, on the YouTube community poll and on the YouTube stream that many of you are watching now. If you haven't yet subscribed to my YouTube channel, please do so and like the show if indeed you do like it. And I'm confident that you're going to like it tonight. We have a panel almost like no other, and we have pretty good panels. Well, the Kiev regime has landed bombs on the financial district in the center of Moscow. As Ambassador Craig Murray put it on Twitter just a few minutes ago, whilst that may be legal, it's definitely not wise, and the Russian response is likely to be very robust indeed. In the last 48 hours, the Kiev regime has bombed a museum and coffee shop in Rostov, and now landing drones, explosive suicide kamikaze drones in the center of Moscow. It will not be long before we see the Russian response. The much-vaunted Ukrainian counter-offensive, first designated for the spring and then the summer, hasn't really got off the ground. So a resort to spectacular acts of what many would call individual acts of terrorism is the next, perhaps the last, throw of the dice for the Kiev regime. But the course of the war now seems set and it's ending will either be at a negotiated table or it will be on the battlefield. Either way, it will not stop, I am sure, until the aims of the special military operation have been achieved. And those aims, of course, have expanded as the atrocity like the one committed in Moscow in the last few hours continue to rain down. If the special military operation had stopped when it could have stopped just a month or two 
into it if it was not scuppered by Boris Johnson at the behest of Joe Biden, then the terms of the settlement might have been entirely palatable for the vast majority of Ukrainian citizens. Now, after 522 days, the terms of the settlement will be much more condign and will surely include the liberation of Odessa, the landlocking of the stump state of Western Ukraine by the taking of the entire southern Black Sea coastline of Ukraine and the liberation of the ethnically Russian people of Transnistria. And that includes the Russian jewel of Odessa. Odessa is a very fascinating place. I've been studying it quite substantially just in the last few days. Do you know that in 1941, when the Nazi and Romanian armed forces occupied Odessa as part of Operation Barbarossa in 1941, there were more than 150,000 Jews living in Odessa. It was a Russian Jewish city. By the time the Red Army liberated Odessa in 1944, there were fewer than 5,000 Jews left in the city. I don't need to spell out to you what happened to all the others. In fact, this lash-up of Japan and Germany and Italy and Romania in this current war against Russia is so redolent of historic significance. It is amazing that not a single commentator, academic, still less member of the British Parliament or any of the other parliaments, in Western Europe at least, can even bring themselves to comment on it. The idea that Russia is now confronted with precisely the same state alliance, axis we used to call it, is so obscene, so grotesque, you would have thought that it would have entered the discourse of any sensible person considering the potential course and outcome of this war in Ukraine. But it does not. Romania is now one of the principal bases for the NATO attack on Russia, which is clearly intending to break up, to balkanize, to fragment the Russian Federation. Nobody mentions that it was the German Reich with their Romanian allies who committed such atrocities in the Holocaust in the East. But then, how could they mention it? How could we justify recreating the axis that caused the deaths of 26 million people in Russia and the wider Soviet Union in the years 1941 to 1945? best that we sweep that under the carpet. Well, Russia will respond, I've no doubt, to the Rostov and Moscow attacks, maybe even while we are on the air. And if they do, we'll bring these developments to you. But let me turn my attention to Washington. The circus around the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden affair 
sure ain't funny. It's true there are many clowns in play in that circus, but the story they are bringing us is dark indeed. Just ponder this. Why did Barack Obama allow Joe Biden complete control over America's Ukraine policy when he was the vice president? Unless there are no intelligence services in the United States, they must have known and told President Obama everything that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and the Biden crime family were doing in Ukraine. But Barack Obama allowed it to continue. And what has it now brought us? It has brought us the corruption, final corruption, of the American Republic itself. The Russiagate hoax, which was in part predicated on the United States' deceitful entanglement in Ukraine. The impeachment of President Trump for demanding answers to what the Bidens were doing in Ukraine. The corruption of the American justice system that we have seen played out this week in the attempt to hoodwink a federal judge into granting immunity to Hunter Biden into crimes far more serious than the ones that he intended to plead guilty to. The corruption of the First Amendment of the American Constitution. They would not have had to corrupt the social media companies. They didn't have to do much work to do so. It's true. The door was open, but they corrupted the First Amendment of the American Constitution itself by a state corporate lash-up to conspire against the freedom of speech, thought, even assembly of the American people, guaranteed under the First Amendment to the Constitution. And not only has it begotten this total corruption of American democracy, it has begotten a war with the Russian Federation which could turn out to be World War III, all to cover up Joe Biden's crimes in the Ukraine, all to cover up the corrupt nexus of the Biden crime family, the Ukrainian oligarchs, and the succession of Ukrainian puppet politicians. It doesn't get much more serious than all of that. It's a big question why the American public are putting up with that. But it's a bigger question why the European governments on our behalf are going along with it. It's one thing, your sons dying for Kupiansk and what side of the line it's going to be. It's another thing doing so under the leadership of Joe Biden and Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi, a collection of gerontocratic leaders that make Chernenko and Brezhnev look like mere striplings. People who have 
mental health episodes on screen at a press conference are leading the governments of the once proud continent of Europe over a cliff for American interests, self-harming, maybe even committing economic and political suicide in our own countries to follow the diktat of Joe Biden. Meanwhile, Russia and China, for that matter, are going from strength to strength. They are demonstrating daily the tectonic shift in the plates. They are demonstrating daily the new friends and the consolidation of old with new friends that are lining up alongside them. Putin called an Africa summit in St. Petersburg this week. It was attended by 49 countries, heads of state, deputy heads of state. Thousands of delegates from Africa were in Russia. They weren't in London, and they certainly weren't in Paris, about which more in a moment. When President Putin reeled off the list of African heroes, Patrice Lumumba, Kenneth Kaunda, Joseph Nayere, Nelson Mandela, Kwame Nkrumah, he was rolling off a list, Gamal Abdel Nasser of Egypt, he was rolling off a list of Russia's closest historical allies on the continent of Africa. People that Russia supported and the West murdered or overthrew, subverted, conspired against, destroyed. Do you see where I'm going here? These old friends of Russia are joined by new friends, like the magnificent 35-year-old president of Burkina Faso, a man so powerful and eloquent and handsome. Well, he made Mitch McConnell look, well, like a fossil. And when the president of Burkina Faso said no one should pity a slave who does not rebel, this resounded through the African continent. And he called on the African countries to have some dignity to stand up for themselves and to stand with those countries that stood with them rather than the countries that did everything they could to enslave, enchain, and bind forever in economic slavery the countries of Africa. And the African people overwhelmingly believe that. And no sooner was the summit ended, but a case in point was demonstrated. The corrupt puppet regime in Niger, uranium-rich Niger, was overthrown by a movement of its own people, 
and its own armed forces. Nothing to do with us. Nothing to do with the United States. Nothing to do with France. 80% of every light in Paris this evening is lit by the resources of the people of Niger. But only 20% of the people of Niger have even got electricity. You'd think the French would be too embarrassed to comment. But they're not just commenting. Little Macron, I was going to call him Little Napoleon, but he doesn't deserve to be in the same sentence as Napoleon. Little Macron has threatened the people of Niger to reinstate their puppet president so he can continue to loot the country in the interests of France. And Anthony Blinken has backed him. Anthony Blinken demanded the reinstatement of the corrupt puppet president of Niger. I mean, I don't want to swear on air. But who is Anthony Blinken to decide who rules Niger? And if you were in any doubt as to whose benefit and disbenefit this overthrow of the Niger government might be, you already know the answer in the attitude of France and the attitude of the United States to the coup. So I know nothing about the new leadership in Niger, but they're all right by me if they can make Macron and Blinken so very, very angry. We'll be talking about these shifting tectonic plates and about one of the most surprising turns of events, the coming of North Korea, the DPRK, and its leader, Kim Jong-un, in from the cold. You never thought you'd hear me say that, did you? Fasten your seatbelts. It's the mother of all talk shows. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Dr. George Samueli is the premier academic 
in the eastern part of Europe, the central part of Europe, and one of our most popular guests. He's never once been on here without imparting wisdom that was precious as well as popular. And it's a great privilege to welcome him back onto the mother of all talk shows again. Dr. George, thank you uh, for joining us. Let's start with the dramatic developments uh, in Moscow. Uh, what could possibly go wrong now that Kiev is landing uh, bombs in the center of Moscow? Well, what indeed? Well, obviously, um, Ukraine is uh, desperate for uh, escalating this war because ultimately the only way uh, it can hope to prevail is through U.S. military intervention. And so that's obviously what it's going for as it uh, launches these attacks on Moscow or wherever. Um, it's clearly hoping for some kind of a major um, escalation on Russia's part that could provoke um, Washington to do something. I don't think that would work. Um, however, there is a real danger that um, Washington could yet be provoked into getting directly involved. I don't think it's so much the um, uh, the sort of terrorist attacks on uh, on Russian cities, but more through the activities of Poland. Poland has become the rabid dog of Europe and is very anxious to provoke some kind of an incident with Russia in the hope of, again, triggering NATO's famous Article 5. So an attack on Poland is an attack on all, and therefore everyone must go to war uh, on Poland's behalf. So I think that's probably at the moment where the greatest danger lies in terms of uh, direct NATO intervention. Let me detain you on that point. Uh it is one of the greatest historical ironies, is it not, that the Banderaite regime in Kiev, which collaborated, Bandera was the right-hand man of the SS and the Einsatzgruppen, who massacred well over a million people in the Holocaust of the East, Many of them, most of them, Polish. That the Polish government is now in double harness with the supporters of, the descendants of, those who mass murdered Poles. How's that for an axis? It is a, a, an extraordinary event because, of course, as you say, um, the massacres in Volhynia were absolutely uh, horrific. Um, but the strange thing about um, Poland, and, and I don't claim to be, you know, uh, to understand this wholly, is that the Polish hatred towards Russia is far more intense than its hatred towards Germany. I mean, it does hate the Germans, but nothing to the extent that it hates the Russians. And by the same token, it doesn't hate the uh, Ukrainians uh, anything with the intensity of the hates the Russians. Now, one should also say that the Poles treated the Ukrainians uh, very badly during the late 1930s, during the forced uh, Polonization campaign. I mean, Poland seized this territory uh, from Russia in 1919, 1920, uh, um, while Russia was absolutely preoccupied with the civil war. Um, so Russia was forced to sign this agreement, the Treaty of Riga, 1921. So Poland grabbed itself a big chunk of territory and 
treated the inhabitants very badly, which I think you know uh, contributed to the, the subsequent um, bad treatment that was meted out to the Poles. But nonetheless, the extraordinary thing is that Poland has this animus towards Russia, and then Putin pointed out correctly is that that you know yes, Poland lost some territory uh, uh, in the east. Um, but it was more than compensated by huge uh, rewards of territory in the West, you know, the, the parts of uh, East Prussia and West Prussia and so on. So Poland should be rather grateful to uh, the Soviet Union for essentially restoring a big country after World War II, not to mention the fact that the Soviet Union liberated Poland from uh, Nazism. But nonetheless, the, the Poles absolutely loathe the Russians with 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 an ex, with an intensity far greater than the Germans, the ones who actually enslaved uh, Poland. It's a it's a mystery, and I can't I don't fully understand it myself. I attended uh, an event uh, in Poland in Warsaw uh, in the last uh, day or so, uh, and uh, it became clear to me that there are actually rather a lot of Polish people who don't approve of their country being dragooned, and it's willingly being dragooned by the political leaders, uh, into being the spearhead against Russia. Uh, they think that no good uh, can come of it. And moreover, there's a real fear uh, that martial law will be declared in Poland, at least in part of Poland, and that that will be used to cancel the upcoming elections in the country. What can you tell us about that? Well, that's a distinct possibility um, because Poland right now is whipping up an extraordinary uh, fervor against uh, Russia. Um, it's pretty much like you know they're, they're moving onto a war footing. Um, they've escalated their military spending. It's, I think, something like 5% of GDP. So well over what any, anyone uh, demanded of, of NATO. Um, it's getting all of its arms uh, from the United States, so it's not even bothering with the, the EU defense industry. And uh, they've told uh, the United States that we are your strongest, your most loyal ally in Europe. Forget old Europe, forget Germany, forget France. Uh, you know, they're weak, insipid, decadent. They did all these terrible deals with Putin. We are the, the strongest, uh, you know, we are the most vigorous uh, part of Europe and we will be, you know, your uh, foot soldiers in the coming war against Russia. It's an extraordinarily belligerent uh, rhetoric that's coming out of Warsaw. But uh, you're right. I mean, I, I talk to Poles as well who are very sensible, very reasonable, who don't want to get dragged into uh, a, the stupid war. But Poland's leaders are not like that. So it's, whether it's Donald Tusk or whether it's uh, Radek Sikorsky or whether it's uh, Morawiecki, I mean, or, or Kaczynski, the leaders, they are all absolutely demented uh, in their, uh, their anti-Russian uh, hatred. Now, uh... Leaving aside the uh, Eastern European theater for a moment, though, I'd like to come back to it. Uh, these were extraordinary scenes in St. Petersburg over the last few days, weren't they? No one could have expected yes. this African mm -hmm. Renaissance to be picking up the momentum that it has and the closeness of African countries now to Russia and China. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's very interesting that um, 
Putin uh, brought up the names that you mentioned, you know, Ben Bella, uh, NASA, Nkrumah, uh, Lumumba, Samora Machel. And, and he actually said that, well, you know, the Soviet Union uh, did a great deal for, to liberate uh, the, the peoples of Africa, you know, a great deal to fight against colonialism, neo-colonialism, great deal to fight against apartheid. And then he said, at the time, this wasn't really that popular a policy um, uh, within the Soviet Union because people were feeling, well, why are you giving all this stuff to Africans? Well, you know, we, we could use some of this ourselves. But then he says, well, actually, the Soviet Union made a very uh, sound investment because now, years, decades later, these Africans come to us and they are very grateful to us and are very well disposed towards us and uh, I want to help us precisely because of that long record of uh, Soviet assistance uh, to Africa uh, during those uh, decades. And it's very interesting that Gorbachev, who kind of tossed away the Soviet Union, the Soviet legacy and everything, you know, over a kind of a boozy lunch with um, Helmut Kohl, um, didn't really realize he was he had so absorbed the Western view of the Soviet Union, he didn't realize that for much of the rest of the world, they didn't see the Soviet Union in the same way. They didn't see it in this sort of communism, anti-communism paradigm. They saw the Soviet Union as a positive force. And I think Gorbachev and the people around it didn't realize that by tossing away uh, the Soviet legacy, they actually did a lot of harm, uh, a lot of damage to the rest of the world. And this was a point emphasized by the president of Eritrea who gave a very long presentation in front of Putin uh, and, and, and was very critical of uh, Gorbachev and the Soviet leaders around him that yeah, you tossed all this aside and you left us in the lurch. We look to you for assistance and you left us in the lurch and that maybe Russia now is actually coming back to that um, uh, the, the Soviet tradition, the Soviet tradition of assistance to um, the, the, the African people. Well, uh, the Russians are back, but the French are on their way out. Uh, I was looking at a map today of the African countries uh, that have ki literally kicked France out. And now Macron is threatening war. And as we speak, the French embassy in Niger is on fire. Yes, it's, it's very interesting. And it's interesting how the Western media presented it, because the Western media declared that, oh, this uh, African summit in St. Petersburg um, is a big flop because only 21 heads of state showed up. It doesn't really matter because everybody showed up. I mean, there was no one, if, if the West had had his way, no one would have showed up. In fact, everybody showed up to the summit. But at the same time, the, the media have to acknowledge that one after another, uh, the African countries are getting rid of the uh, so-called pro-Western regimes and, uh, and they're replacing them with governments that are hostile uh, to France, hostile to the United States, and well disposed towards Russia. So it's, um, we're talking about um, Niger, but what about Mali? That also had a change of government recently. Uh, Burkina Faso, uh, Chad. Um, it's a it's it's a whole series of many Sudan. It's a clean sweep across um, Western and Central Africa, and these so-called pro-Western regimes are being uh, thrown aside. So, but let's remember, a lot of it is also the consequence of um, the Western intervention in Libya, which completely destabilized the region. 
unleash the Islamic terrorists. Uh, so the whole Sahel region was uh, destroyed as a result of that uh, the uh, attack on uh, Gaddafi. And then we had this, uh, you know, war against Islamists. And as usual, the Americans come in. They don't really do anything. They just simply uh, take the country over, pretend that they're fighting against Islamists. And essentially, these governments have now said, we've had enough. You're not actually doing anything. You're actually weakening us every day. We're losing this war against the Islamists. You need to go, you know, stop giving us this assistance. We act, we can actually do a much better job against Islamic terrorism without United States and without France. Uh, and, and I think that's really what's contributed to the to this this clean sweep of uh, regimes that have fallen in the last few months. Uh, finally, and I'm grateful for your time, doctor. Let me go back to uh, the European theater. Uh, there's intense speculation about the Wagner group, about Prigozhin, uh, who turned up at the St. Petersburg uh, summit, interestingly, uh, and uh, his forces, which uh, are now uh, in Belarus. There's speculation about uh, Russian-Belarusian creation of a corridor uh, to uh, Russian territory uh, that is effectively separated uh, by a land corridor. Uh, I think it's the Suwaki corridor they are talking about uh, to reinforce it, to, to guard it. And equally, going back to Poland and your earlier point, there's intense speculation that the Polish army will enter Western Ukraine. That would be an act of war against Belarus and Russia, would it not? Yes, no question. I mean, Poland is now kicking up a huge uh, fuss about the the Wagner Group and the Savalki Corridor, and that somehow there's a, a a real there's a threat from the Wagner Group to enter Poland. So that could certainly be uh, a, a danger. I mean, Poland could certainly attack uh, Belarus, saying, "Hey, we're we're under threat from um, the Wagner Group." Um, so I think that there's no question that that's, again, one of the uh, possible ways in which uh, this could escalate into World War III. Um, the Western Ukraine is, a, is certainly a, a possibility if Poland and Ukraine forge some kind of a political union. And I think that's much more likely than just Poland going uh, entering unilaterally. But, you know, they've already talked uh, in the past about creating some kind of a uh, union state. Um, and then if, if they do actually create this, some sort of a confederation of uh, Poland and Ukraine, then, of course, Poland can enter Ukraine. And again, that could well be a, uh, a trigger for uh, World War Three. This is the, this is clearly the plan. I mean, we know that that's Poland and Ukraine are working in tandem to uh, escalate this into an Article Five situation. I mean, it happened that time with that the so-called missile that landed in Poland. Remember, Poland and Ukraine both. Uh, proclaimed that this was an attack on Polish territory when they knew perfectly well that it wasn't. So it wasn't just Ukraine saying it. Poland also said we were under attack from Russia. So Poland and Ukraine are in on it together. Um, um, but again, I think there's a real possibility that, uh, that that Poland and Ukraine will work out some sort of a confederation. And that, that, that is in effect, makes Ukraine a de facto uh, member of NATO. Um, so I think that that's a, a real possibility. 
the the Wagner group, however, I mean, the fact that um, Prigozhin was at this um, St. Petersburg uh, summit, well, the Wagner group is, unlike the American, is actually gets the job done in Africa. They have been far more effective in uh, defeating ISIS than the Americans. I mean, the Americans in, in Africa, as in Syria, they actually don't do anything. They don't actually fight the Islamists. They actually just simply occupy territory, uh, undermine, destabilize governments. But they don't actually get the job done of fighting the Islamists. The Wagner group did do that, which is, I think, why uh, the, again, many of these African leaders are well disposed towards uh, the Wagner group. Uh, well, you and I have talked about Article 5 before. It doesn't actually mean what most commentators pretend that it means. But in the case no, of, of Poland entering, uh, in the case of Poland entering into Ukraine, that definitely wouldn't trigger uh, Article 5. Uh, because uh, no. if Russia fought Poland in Western Ukraine, it's not fighting Poland, which is a member of NATO. Uh, it's fighting this new uh, Hydra-headed entity that may or may not be formed between Poland and Western Ukraine. No, there are, exactly. There are all, all sorts of ways um, in which Poland is going to try and get around it and say, well, this, uh, this uh, involves Article 5. But as you say, Article 5 does not oblige everyone uh, to uh, go to war um, you know, should a, a state come under attack, it just simply obliges all NATO member states to decide uh, what, if anything, they're willing to do about it. But um, more important than Article 5 is Article 1. Article 1 obliges every NATO member state to resolve all issues with non-NATO member states by exclusively peaceful means. Article 1. Article 1 supersedes Article 5. Well, Poland hasn't remotely uh, sought to um, resolve its conflicts with Russia, a non-NATO member state, by peaceful means. And on the contrary, Poland has gone out of its way to provoke a, a war with uh, Russia. So there's no way that Poland can try and invoke Article 5. We're under attack. We're under attack. You know, we, we weren't doing nothing. So please come and help us. There's just no, no way that Poland can make that case. Dr. George, quite brilliant as always. Thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Is the global warming net zero cult a scam? You have your say. Yes or no? I've got to tell you that so far, it is 92 yes, 85 yes, 91 yes, and 90 yes. 12,363 people have voted. If you've got a point of view, please register it on our poll right now. Quick break, and then I'll be right back. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Now, I was going to say that Jackson Hinkle comes fresh from an altercation uh, with Piers Morgan, but nobody really emerges fresh from an altercation with Piers Morgan. It was toxic, but Jackson Hinkle took him to the cleaners, as we say in Glasgow. And I'm glad to say, for a celebratory lap of honour, it's the one and only Jackson Henkel who joins us now. Uh, Jackson, what was it like uh, sitting uh, metaphorically in a studio 
uh, with Rupert Murdoch's mouthpiece, Piers Morgan. Well, it, it was it was quite something. I uh, I don't watch a lot of Piers Morgan, I have to admit, but. Uh, I mean, to start off a conversation about the most pressing geopolitical crisis in the world right now and belittle it by calling the opposing side in this debate myself a Putin fanboy is just it's just laughable. And I think people saw right through it. The debate on his own YouTube channel, he's got millions of followers and the vast majority. I think it was by a factor of four times people disliked his video. Uh, And it's because if there's one thing worse than I guess, hypothetically, being a Putin fanboy, as he called me, it's probably to be a Zelensky fanboy. <laughs> well, uh, Piers is uh, Piers uh, Morgan fanboy. Uh, and, uh, of course, he, he moves according to the wind. Uh, you're a young man, so let me, let me uh, educate you in this. Uh, he was our number one ally in the British media against the war on Iraq. He disbelieved everything that the state claimed about the case for invading and occupying Iraq. But he now believes every word of the state case uh, for the war against Russia and the destruction of the Ukrainian people uh, in that that vainglorious bid, inglorious bid. you made the, I mean, you were only on there because they're having to acknowledge that actually in your country and in mine, there's rather a lot of people would prefer Putin as their leader than Joe Biden or Rishi Sunak. Isn't that right? Yeah, it's 100 percent correct. And uh, well, for you to say that Pierce used to be an ally on subjects such as the Iraq war, I mean, it's just baffling to me because he I, I don't even think he knows what he believes in, you know, and that's why I have to thank people like you who are sincere and honest truth tellers and have been for so long, uh, because I asked Pierce a simple question. I said, Pierce, if if you look at your own Twitter account uh, from February 24th, 2022 onward, there's countless tweets about Ukraine and how he prays for Ukrainians and the atrocities of Putin against the Ukrainian civilians. But if you look before February 24, 2022, there's not a single tweet about the 15,000 people that were slaughtered in the Donbass, the primarily ethnic Russians killed at behest of uh, NATO by the Ukrainian Nazi government. And in fact, there was one tweet about Zelensky prior to February 24, 2022. And Pierce Morgan was making fun of the comedian with no political experience having risen to the uh, prominence of president of Ukraine. So he was actually making fun of him back then. Uh, but it just goes to show that when I asked him the question, why why did you not tweet about the Ukrainian deaths prior to February 24, 2022? And he was silent. In fact, he handed the question off to his uh, other Zelensky fanboy he had in the studio with him. I think it proves that so many of these talking heads in the mainstream press, they simply don't believe anything. They are nothing more than, as I just put it, talking heads regurgitating whatever the CIA or the State Department or MI6 have to tell them about matters like Ukraine. Yes, they they live under the dictatorship of the prevailing orthodoxy. But it's particularly sad in Piers' case because he didn't do that in the run-up to the Iraq war. 
and uh, I counted him as a friend then and for many years uh, thereafter. But uh, as Elvis Costello said, somebody needs to put out the big light. I can't bear to see him this way. But you actually uh, trounced him in the debate because you're a very, very brilliant young man. So much so, you're now an ambassador. Uh, and I want to ask you about that. It is quite something that North Korea, for so long shunned by East and West, let's face it, uh, the Chinese and the Russians were nominally uh, allied with North Korea, but they kept it at arm's length. But Shoigu, the Russian defense minister, was given a rock star welcome in Pyongyang this week. And it's quite obvious to me, reading the lines and between the lines, uh, that North Korea is about to move uh, quite significantly uh, into, if you like, the new world that is being formed uh, by this UN uh, reconfiguration uh, of the planet. And you are volunteering to be a goodwill ambassador, and good for you being a goodwill ambassador, because why should we be enemies of North Korea? We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be. And I think many people across the world understand uh, all the good that Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-un have done for the world. Uh, Kim Jong-un is a peace-seeking leader, despite what you know, the talking heads again at CNN and Fox News and MSNBC say about him, they make him sound like some insane, tyrannical, authoritarian, bloodthirsty tyrant that can do nothing right in the world. But when you actually look at uh, videos of Westerners, Australians, UK citizens, anyone who travels to the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, you see something that's actually exactly opposite to what Hollywood portrays in the movies of North Korea. And you begin to understand that what Donald Trump was trying to do, strike a peace deal with North Korea and begin to normalize relations with uh, North Korea is actually a good necessary step because Russia and China understand that like Africa, North Korea is a part of this new world, this new uh, formation, this new century that we're living in. And uh, they are people just like us, created by God, and, and we should be working with them to industrialize the world, create a more peaceful world, and a more hopeful world for all of our nations. Well, I've been there twice. I haven't met Kim Jong-un, but I've been to North Korea twice, and it is a very fascinating place, unique uh, society. And uh, I hope that you have success in your attempts to foster more uh, goodwill. But I can't show any goodwill towards Joe Biden, I must tell you. Uh, as I look at the circus in Washington and see the consequence, I mean, it may have started out just as a grift for the Bidens to make a pile uh, for the future after Joe left the White House as uh, vice president to President Obama. But look what it's turned into. It has, it has corrupted the U.S. Constitution, and it has begotten a war. And now they're trying to arrest Hunter Biden's business partner, 
before he can get to Congress tomorrow to give evidence of the Biden crime family's activities. Will they succeed in that or will will we hear from him tomorrow? I guess we'll have to wait and see. But if recent history is any indication for how this is all going to unfold, let's just take a look at the U.S. judicial system and how the prosecutors in New York and D.C. truly operate, because Donald Trump has been, uh, you know, given a litany of charges for crimes that I think a bunch of Americans would dispute the validity of. And all the while, Donald Trump has been charged left and right. It seems like every other week he's getting arrested now. We still have none of the Epstein, Jeffrey Epstein associates who have been held accountable for their crimes. Uh, we have SBF of FTX, who looks like he's going to get off the hook for his crimes. And as you just mentioned, they're now trying to do this and protect Hunter Biden and ultimately protect Joe Biden, who is in this fanatical war craze clamoring for World War III with Russia, just in an effort, I don't know, maybe to protect what he did at this point with uh, Burisma Holdings Group and what they were doing with Hunter Biden with Burisma. And, uh, and another part of this that a lot of people forget is uh, Hunter Biden was not only involved with Burisma Holdings in Ukraine, but he also was a massive, massive investor for a lot of these U.S. operated bio labs, former Soviet uh, weapons labs in Ukraine. And um, he was getting special approval from the DOD while Joe Biden was vice president overseeing U.S.-Ukrainian relations. There's a lot of suspect stuff here. And I think the Burisma payment of $83,000 a month to Hunter Biden is just the tip of the iceberg. Now, of course, the man who allowed the Bidens to run Ukraine uh, was Obama. Uh, Because he looked cool in a tan suit, and did a passable Sam Cooke uh, from the stage in Chicago when he was first elected. A lot of people cut him a lot of slack, far more than they ought. But I'm wondering why this week we have a situation where the second Obama chef dies by drowning, Obama and his wife go playing tennis in a a ritzy country club, not 48 hours after the death by drowning in their garden of their seven-year employee, and Barack is wearing plasters on his hand and sporting a black eye. I'm wondering why that is not the biggest story in America right now. Why? Well, that's the exact behavior of someone who uh, simply doesn't care about the death of their longtime friend and chef. And it's it's so in your face at this point. Yes, the question must be asked, why is no one talking about this? And I think the last phone call you had with one of your guests summarizes what so many are thinking um, that, uh, you know, At the end of the day, Joe Biden is not polling very high right now, especially when you put him head to head against Donald Trump, even in the Rust Belt and the swing states of the United States, which are so critical for winning a presidential election. And I think a lot of people understand that the Democratic Party would love to see someone like Michelle Obama run for office, run for president of the United States to replace Joe Biden, who's sputtering out on his last fumes right now. 
And, uh, you know, you got to clean up a few uh, few phrase, few uh, untied ends if you're going to run for president of the United States and you have as much dirt on you as I'm sure the Obamas do. So it's not to say that they're guilty, but when you look at these photos that are up by my face on the screen right now, I mean, you have Obama walking around with what appears to be a black eye. He's got presumably cuts on his fingers covered by uh, medical tape. Where did that come from? And why are they so okay with the notion of just flaunting the fact that uh, this looks extremely suspect and that they don't care? Yeah, it would look extremely suspect uh, if it were Donald Trump that uh, had lost the second of his chefs and was playing golf two days later and with a black eye and wearing uh, tape uh, on his uh, hand. Now, finally, Jackson, I'm grateful for your time. Uh, If it's not Obama, uh, uh, Mrs. Obama, not sure what her credentials would be, except being married to a former president. I suppose it's a two for one, buy one, get one free, uh, a way of uh, Barack also to be back in the White House. Uh, If it's not uh, them, uh, it's going to be this California fellow, isn't it? This Gavin Newsom, about whom most people this side of the pond know very little. Can you enlighten us? Yeah, he's someone who's got very high presidential ambitions, although I don't think he's going to be pulling that high with the American public, given what has happened to California. Uh, George, I just moved out of Los Angeles because the situation has become so grim. I'm a California native. I grew up in Orange County and I moved up to Los Angeles about two and a half years ago. And it's just insane to see what has happened to our state, the most beautiful state in the union. And now it looks like a it looks like a video game zombie wasteland. It's it's horrific. It's so sad. We have six hundred to seven hundred thousand homeless Americans. Ten percent of those are veterans who served our country abroad. Meanwhile, Joe Biden sending what two hundred billion dollars off to Ukraine. And, and Gavin Newsom, though he has no say on this because he's a governor of uh, the state of California, I'm sure he applauds and supports all these ambitions of Biden to send more money to Ukraine when his own state is crumbling, okay? Now, someone who's polling much higher is someone who actually, in the Democratic Party, who uh, rejects the Democratic Party orthodoxy is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, I have issues I disagree with him vehemently on, of course, and I'm sure you do as well, like on Israel, for example. But don't you think it's interesting to see someone who is so in opposition to the stated goals of the Democratic National Committee, uh, the Democratic Party, and nearly all Democratic elected officials across the nation polling at 20% in the party. I don't think Gavin Newsom is going to win the Democratic nomination if he does, in fact, seek it. He's running ads in Florida right now. I've seen those. Uh, By virtue of his great ideas or his good looks, I think it will be a gerrymandering of the process, just like we saw with Hillary Clinton becoming the nominee back in 2016 when Bernie Sanders was polling so high. And what can you make of President Biden refusing uh, security uh, detail uh, from the state uh, for Bobby Kennedy when actually the system of giving protection to people running for president only was invented after the mother of Bobby Kennedy's father, who 
in the Democratic Party can support refusing protection for somebody called Robert Kennedy. It seems like a weaponization of our own, uh, you know, our own law enforcement agencies in the United States to try and stifle the success of his main political opponent within the Democratic Party. But then again, is it really that out of character for someone like Joe Biden, who has sicked big tech thugs on any and all uh, opposition in the free and open uh, media independent press? Is it really all that much of... Uh, something that's out of character for someone like Joe Biden when he's sicking federal prosecutors on his main and number one opposition that's looking like it's going to beat him, that is Donald Trump in the Republican field. No, I don't think it is. And I think, frankly, as as grim and dark as it is, Joe Biden would probably love to see Robert F. Kennedy Jr. end up like his own father or like his uncle JFK in their uh, very, very sad and tragic demise. Well, actually, given the record of uh, the Secret Service in protecting Jack Kennedy and the original Robert Kennedy, uh, it's maybe best uh, if uh, Bobby doesn't have recourse to them. Jackson Hinkle, you're a star man. Thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. 15,779 people voted in the poll. Not bad. But 93% on Telegram considered the net zero a scam. 86% on Twitter considered it a scam. 91% on the YouTube community poll considered it a scam. And 90% on the YouTube stream. That tells me I'm onto something. That my party is onto something. Our demand for a net zero referendum uh, is being uh, piloted uh, by one of our members, uh, His Excellency Peter Ford, former British ambassador. He's doing the intellectual legwork on it. He's heading up that campaign for us, and he's the ideal man to do it. We already have the support uh, of the Reclaim Party, and we hope as weeks go on, uh, that we'll get the support of many parties and ultimately the governing party uh, who must want uh, to stop the bus and get off because 2050 is just around the corner. And the price of net zero for Britain, which produces 0.04% of carbon emissions in the world, cannot be paid. You know the feeling when you see a bill or you get a price quoted at you and you feel bad, it's it's agonizing. If I pay that, I'll have to give up that and so on. No, no, this is a bill that literally cannot be paid by the British people who've already been placed over a barrel by the energy price rises over uh, this last 12 months. And the obscene profits being made by British gas, obscene levels of profits. Whilst people are going cold and 12 weeks from now will be cold again in the British winter time, we cannot afford to stop exploiting our oil and gas fields. We cannot afford to abandon 
nuclear power. We cannot afford not to have a balanced energy policy with all kinds of tributaries supplying energy to our people. We certainly can never re-industrialize our country on a net zero 2050 prospectus. And if we do not re-industrialize, what will we be? Who will we be? What kind of country could we possibly be if we do not re-tool, re-energize, and re-industrialize ourselves again? And if net zero was so worthy an objective, why do they keep their private jets whilst trying to tell us we cannot drive our cars except by paying through the nose in ULES on the streets of London, now even outer London? How come you can't drive your car in outer London? But the oligarchs and the politicians can fly around in private jets. It's a bit like being told you can't go and visit your old mother, but the prime minister is having a party with his aides in Downing Street. The hypocrisy is off the scale. And this catastrophism, this apocalyptic vision which they paint, is simply not believable. John Kerry, who flies around in a private jet everywhere he goes, said in 2009 that in five years we will have the very first ever ice-free Arctic. It was a lie. Or a prediction that not only didn't come true, but will never come true, has never come true. They're always telling us that if we don't give up this, if we don't pay this price, the consequence will be this catastrophe, this apocalypse. And I don't believe it. You may believe it, in which case let's have a referendum and compare your beliefs with mine. What we cannot do is go down quietly into that good night without even a proper proper two-sided debate on these questions and a democratic vote in a net zero referendum. These were my final thoughts. I've unfortunately overrun. It's been a wonderful show, I think. And I'm very glad that you kept me company through it. Well over a million people, again, 1.7 million people watched the mother of all talk shows in the last seven days. But I'm still dying to get to that 2 million number again. Thanks very much indeed for your time. It's been marvelous for me. I hope it was for you. And I wish you all a very pleasant night.